Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Hey, welcome to episode 17. So in today's episode, we are going to begin by looking back over paragraph three, really kind of putting it in its context and sort of looking at the big picture a little bit. We were uh, kind of right up to the end of the session last week with uh, uh, sort of the details and didn't get a chance to kind of step back and think about some applications. So we start with that and then we do some discussion of the first sentence of the next paragraph, which gets a little confusing. Uh, Lots of fun, impromptu Greek research going on and and some really interesting conclusions. I felt like I learned a whole lot in today's session. So I hope that you enjoy it. Welcome back, everybody. This is session number 17 of Students of the Word. Uh, today, we're going to look back a little bit over that third paragraph. We finished uh, discussing that. We finished you know, discussing chapter two, verse six last time. Some really, really fun discoveries. I added I don't mean discoveries in the sense of like, we found something no one has ever noticed about that verse before. I just mean, I discovered it like discovery to me. Like I was a really fun learning experience on my part. Um, And, uh, but because I, we got so uh, sort of wound up in that, which I don't regret one bit, I wanted to make sure that we paused at the beginning of today before we just plunge ahead into the fourth paragraph. Um, I want to, I want to pause for a second and just make sure that we're, kind of looking back over that third paragraph, um, I want to be thinking about sort of application. What does it mean? What does it mean? And in particular, what has it added um, to what he said before? We did some application thinking through what paragraph, you know, two meant, right? Um, what uh, what has changed here? So um, going back up through, let's look at that third paragraph again. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Or wait, what was that translation we did? Um, The one who says that he remains in him uh, ought himself just as he walked to walk. That was it. That was it. Ought himself just as he walked to walk. Um, okay. So what things, uh, so first of all, we can see the, just to, to emphasize again, the overall parallels, right? We can see how he's building on what he was saying in paragraph two. In paragraph two, we got all of these, if this, then this, but if this, then that, right? Um, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We were looking at uh, all this cleansing imagery, right? Ways in which we can be clean from our sin, ways in which we can be made righteous, cleansed from all unrighteousness, right? And that this, one of the sort of the pivot points to this, right? The two different ways that we were shown, like the, um, how that turns, right? Was walking in the light as he is in the light and confessing our sins, right? Um, And 
and of course, emphasize, he comes around to emphasizing at the end about our having an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? How it is Jesus and his righteousness that makes all of this possible, that Jesus is our advocate with the Father, the one who is alongside us, right? Um, Supporting us and arguing for us, and also who is himself the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world, right? So the end of that paragraph really places Jesus in this prominent position, right? Talking about Jesus's role and how all of this, if we go back, right, even looking at walking in the light as he himself is in the light, right? We can now see sort of a new layer on top of that. It's not just that we're emulating, Jesus, right? It's not just that we're walking in the light. Again, like, you know, so look how Jesus walks in the light and kind of just do that, right? Um, We see that, again, it's Jesus's righteousness that cleanses us from unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins, right? And that the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin is attached to walking in the light as he is in the light, right? Um, And so it's, in paragraph three, we see a similar shape, right? Um, if we don't keep his commandments, we have not really come to know him, right? We can't say that we know him. We can't say that we have fellowship with him if we don't keep his commandments. If we, it's, that's the, the contradiction in terms. The truth is not in us in that case. But if, but if we keep his word, then the love of God has truly been perfected in us, has been perfected in and through the truth, right, in us. Now, one of the things that I see him emphasizing here in this third paragraph um, is sort of making that, to me, I think one of the the kind of the culminating words here, and I think it's really important not only because it comes near the end in in that final statement that he's making, but also because this is like the introduction of a term that's going to be so important throughout the whole rest of the epistle, and that's abides, remain. Let me remind myself, what was the Greek word there? Uh, I'm going to abide in him, menein. Yes, menein, that is, uh, that's going to be a really important verb uh, in the rest of this epistle. If when we remain in him, right, um, the one who says that he remains in him ought to ought himself also, just as he walked to walk, right? Um, That the connection between those two things, what keeping his commandments, walking as he walked, that is inextricably tied to abiding in him. So this image of abiding in him, which again, I think was, was sort of implicit in that second paragraph, especially I'm thinking about the, um, the, that walking in the light as he is in the light, right? Again, that, that, that connection again, I don't think that's just about emulation, right? Walking as he is in the light, walking in the light as he is in the light, meaning remaining with him, right? Being alongside him, right? Being joined to him in the light rather than retreating from him, separating ourselves from him, which is what you have to do in order to be in the darkness, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. But notice that he begins the paragraph with the question of surety, of certainty, right? How How can we know? How can we know? How can we be sure? We might want to think we have fellowship with God. We might, you know, hope that we have fellowship with God. Um, 
hope not in the Pauline sense, but just in the wishful thinking sense, right? Um, uh, you know, like, gosh, I hope it's true, right? Um, and he says, we can have certainty. And the certainty we can have is by looking at, looking at our actions. Are we keeping his commandments, right? Are we doing what he said we should do? Because that is not only the proof that we have come to know him. It is also the means by which we come to know him. That's why these two things are so uh, completely and inextricably tied together, right? And of course, in that pivotal verse, verse five, right? Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Um, and again, we can see the levels of that, about that, about the perfection, the completion, the bringing to the achievement of the goal of the love of God, right? What is the love of God for us? What is the perfection of the love of God for us? When is God's love for us complete? When we abide in him, right? That's what it looks like when the love of God has, has, has done its perfect work in us, right? That fellowship, right? The koinonia with God. That's, again, I think all of these things are pointing to the same thing. That is what God wants for us. That's what God loves for us is tending towards, right? But also in that, if we abide in him, we are also doing the work of his love, not just in our own hearts, right? But in everything around us, in making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Because that's what his commandments are about. Remember, we 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 did the little spoiler thing, right? <laughs> the, sp the spoilers about what the commandments are. John hasn't said yet, which I think is important that we remember that. But it's okay for us to peek ahead and remember uh, what the commandments are. And the commandments he's referring to are love your neighbor as you, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are God's commandments, right? All of the law and the prophets are wrapped up in that. Um, so yes, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the, the koinonia with God, the abiding with God is, is all bound up with that. Is It has its fulfillment in that, right? In by the truth, by means of the truth, in the manner of the truth, right? With the spirit of truth operative throughout that process, right? Making that happen. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength isn't the only commandment. It is, there are plural commandments, right? And the other, the other expression of God's love is that we love our neighbor as ourselves because God loves our neighbors just as he loves us. Right. And so that the, the wonderful thing about that dual commandment is that as we are at the same time that we are told to love God, we are also told to love our neighbor because, of course, God loves our neighbor. So as we are joined with God, as we abide in him, we will express his love. And if we are expressing his love, then we are keeping his commandments. We are keeping his word. We have come to know him. If we know God, 
we will keep his commandments, right? If we know God, if we are close to God, God's love will flow through us. That's what it means to know God. Again, we can see how all of this works, right? We can see how all of this comes back together. And as Devorah says, it brings us right back to fellowship with one another and with God. I am so glad you brought that up to anchor this back to what John has been saying from the beginning, this sort of surprising thing. Right, at least it was surprising to me, as I said back in verse three of chapter one, um, when we finally get to the verb, right, of that first sentence, and uh, we have God describe, you know, uh, John describing what was the um, what was the purpose, right? Why is he proclaiming this stuff to us? And his answer is so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Right. That first and foremost, he doesn't say the point of all this is just so that you can come to know God better. It's that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Both of those things are identified together. That is the perfection of the love of God. That is the love of God coming to its completeness. Not only that we have this sort of vertical relationship with God in good order, right? Um, but also, the horizontal relationship with other people, which is an ex- which is equally an expression of God's love. It's the same thing. And of course, we saw it again in paragraph two, right? Um, right there in the middle of verse seven, which in what sounds almost like a, a little non sequitur in the middle of a, a, a really, I don't know, almost disappointing non sequitur. Like this is, there's some serious momentum there in verse seven, Right. I mean, if this, imagine if verse seven said, think how much, uh, I don't know, I think it would be sort of more satisfying, right? I mean, like if I were John's editor, I would suggest this, right? I'd say like, I'm not John, okay, listen, listen, this is great and everything, but wouldn't it flow better if you said, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God himself and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin, right? I mean, holy cow, that, that, that really snaps, doesn't it? Um, to say that fellowship with God will happen if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And, you know, the blood of Jesus, we still get the blood of Jesus in there, you know, as the mechanism by which and it's all, it's all good, right? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead, he, instead of talking about explicitly our koinonia with God, he links it with our koinonia with one another, um, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. That's how you know you're walking in the light. If you have fellowship with one another, right? If you are not in fellowship with other believers, you are not walking in the light as he is in the light. I mean, you can't be. It's not possible. It's not possible because it is not possible to be in community with God without being in community with one another. And we talked about this back in paragraph two and we talked about that, right? But anyway, so we can see this um, so, Devorah, I think you're absolutely right to recall us back to those earlier passages um, that we can see both of these things operating here. And I think that, again, all of that stuff is layered into that. Um, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. That is the perfection of the love of God. This is the this is what. This is the goal that the love of God is meant to achieve. This is the per- this is its completing its purpose, right? Um, the establishment of fellowship with us and of fellowship among us at the same time. And so again, we can we can really begin to sort of see 
how all of this happens now. But remember the language that we were emphasizing about keeping, right? That keep word, whoever keeps his commandments. Um, one of the things that I think gets introduced here in this third paragraph is the question of time, right? Both when do you know that you know, right? Like how much is enough? And I know that there are many people who have struggled with that, right? Like I believe that God loves me, but like you know, people who have a really hard time believing that they're accepted, right? Knowing when it's enough, when they've arrived, <laughs> essentially, right? Like when they can rest in the love of God, essentially. It's a really important thing. It's a really important question. As I say, I know many have really struggled with that. And John's answer is, if you keep his commandments, if you are loving God and loving your neighbor, you have come to know him. You know, that's what it, that's, that's what it means. But so there's, so there's that, there's a question of like, where in the, so time is relevant in that sense of, of like progress, right? How do you know when you know, right? How do you know when you're in fellowship with God? But then also, that's not a static moment, right? It's not just a, you've arrived and now it's over, right? There's then a process after that. We've been talking about from the beginning uh, of this book, to some extent, one of the things that John seems most interested in is, so you've met Jesus. Now what? Right? What does that look like? What happens now? Right? So what we saw at the very, you know, first verse of the, um, of the epistle, right? Um, that which we have heard, you know, like the, that which was from the beginning, right? We've, we've encountered the word of life stuff, right? But now what? What do we do? What does that look like? What is life in the, you know, that post sort of salvation moment, right? Um, so you've come to know God, now what? Right. And the answer is of to abide in him, right? To abide in him, to remain in him. And that's a word which is ironic in a sense, right? On the one sense, it's passive. Like you're not doing anything, you're staying put. But staying put is an action that needs to carry on, right? That you need to keep doing. Um, it's not passive at all. It's not about just letting things be. It's about actively continuing, just like that keeping of the commandments that remember that sense of like keeping or guarding uh, that we were talking about that that verb seems to have, right? Um, keeping, guarding, preserving, right? To stand watch, to stand guard over something is simultaneously both active and stationary, right? If you're standing watch, you're not like doing anything, right? You're not running around, you're not traveling anywhere, you're not performing some action, you're standing still, but you're active and you must remain active. Um, and that seems to be the kind of action that he is saying that we have to do. And then of course he gets the, we, we get back to the walking metaphor, right? What does remaining in him look like? What will it look like if we remain in him? What it will look like is that just as he walked, we will walk. We will do what Jesus did. We will show the to others the love of God that he has shown to us. Um, 
And yes, praise, I certainly agree. The reminder that love is a choice and an action, not a feeling, is important here. Oh, man, so important. So important. Um, I think that the whole association of love with feeling, with emotion, like the identification, not association. It's always been associated with it, but um, the identification of love with feeling um, is like would be on my top 10 list of like most dangerous ideas in the whole modern world, right? Most like dangerously, poisonously misleading ideas um, in the whole world. Um, loving people has, of course, has nothing to do with your feelings about them. Um, it has to do with your actions uh, and, and with your choices, praise, as you say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that, you know, we spent some time uh, talking in the first uh, couple sessions of this Bible study about the lack of verbs, right? At the beginning of, uh, of first John. Um, but um yeah, yeah, praise says calls that one of Satan's uh most successful propaganda campaigns in our era, certainly so. Certainly so. Um yeah, yeah. Oh good, Devorah has another sort of metaphor thinking about kind of combining the idea of the walking, you know, the progressing with this idea of remaining, of abiding. She says it's sort of like um you know, swimming in a moving current right? You've, you've, you've got to, you've got to keep swimming in order to stay in the same place. Like you have to exert yourself. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like standing on guard where you have to focus and work at remaining vigilant, which is exhausting by the way, right? I mean, standing guard and remaining vigilant. Um, I've always thought I would be a terrible guard. Like I, I, I would have, I would really, really struggle with that. Right. Um, that's really hard. But also, I, but Devorah, I like that the swimming metaphor as well. Like you, you, if you stop, you'll be swept downstream. Right. Um, it's not something that just happens. Um, you do have to choose it. You do have to do it. Um, and yes, anyway, I was, I was, but I was just saying that um, we were talking, we were joking at the beginning about sort of the lack of verbs in the first few verses of First John, like main verbs. Um, look here at the verbs in this third paragraph, right? First about knowing, by this we know, right? And then if we keep his commandments, and we repeat that three times, keep his commandments, does not keep his commandments, whoever keeps his word, right? Um, so that is the, 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 the three times repeated and core idea that remaining, right? And then of course that gets picked up with the keeping the commandments, and keeping his word then gets connected to menane, right? Remaining, abiding uh, in him, that sort of, that, 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 that resting in him, um, rest, which is ironic, right? Not, uh, I mean, Devor, again, I'm thinking about your swimming in the stream metaphor, right? Um, to rest in one place doesn't mean to relax, right? but to rest, to put down roots, right? To sort of establish yourself there. Um, as I'm thinking about the Sabbath um, and God resting on the Sabbath. And um, I've been reading a bunch of things recently. I was just reading uh, John Walden's um, The Lost World of 
Genesis one, uh, recently rereading it actually. Um, a wonderful book, uh, really, really, uh, really, really eye-opening. Um, and one of the main things that he, one of the things that he talks about is what it means, what the Sabbath rest, like the original Sabbath rest in Genesis one, uh, means and suggests, and that it's not about the, in, in, you know, sort of the context of like sort of conceptual context of, uh, of, you know, the ancient Near East resting, like, it's not about like, and then God took a break, right? It's about, and then God established himself, right? Like God, first God creates this world and then he starts, right? It's like, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he, he's now puts himself, uh, he, he now takes office officially. Right. Um, and there's, I, there's a kind of parallel there. I can't help but think between the way that God, like God's intention of like how he invests his world, right? He, he prepares it for six days. And then on day seven, he enters in, right? Like entering in through the doors of the temple, right? Um, and taking his seat uh, to begin the process of ruling over his world, right? And there's a, there's a sense there, right? I think that there's a, there's a, there's a kind of parallel with that with the kind of, with the abiding in Jesus that we are told to do here. Right. Um, uh, and if that seems, and that also Jesus abiding in us, right. There's a sort of a direct parallel there with our bodies being the, our, us being the temple, right. Um, and God entering in and abiding in us, right. The spirit abiding in us as God's spirit abode, uh, in the temple or the tabernacle. Um, but we too are told to abide in him, right? To sort of rest in him, to establish ourselves and our lives um, from that vantage point, right? And to kind of order all things from there. Um, that uh, I, I, I just, I don't know, that feels to me like a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to to get at and it, you know if uh if this isn't helpful for you uh don't worry about it this is me mostly just trying to myself think through what does it mean to remain in him in some ways i've always found that the, that is that image of remaining or abiding i've always found that a little abstract you know what does it mean to abide in him like i can imagine it as a metaphor but to actually think about Again, what does that look like on a daily basis? What does that look like to abide in him? Now, of course, again, he tells us what it's supposed to look like. Walking just as he walked, right? Um, doing what Jesus did, not in a silly literal sense, right? Like, um, you know, growing a beard and eating fish and walking around judea preaching right like that's what we're all supposed to do go over to judea and become itinerant preachers obviously nothing that literal but um how did jesus walk right how is the love of god perfected um well again nowhere has the love of god been more truly perfected than in jesus right in jesus's life and jesus's death and there we have it we need to walk in the light just as he was in the light right um, and he's given us the blueprint, right, to keep his commandments. Um, anyway, so for me, I think, again, big picture, it's that question of time. This third paragraph really seems to me 
more than anything else about making it real, right? About, you know, sort of, I don't know, like the rubber hitting the road, right? Enacting the thing, um, the principles that he was discussing sort of more generally in uh, in the previous paragraph. Okay, but let's um, let's go ahead and look at the next paragraph, which is exciting. By the way, I'm I'm going to be interested to see what you think. Some translations divide the paragraph after eight, like basically take seven and eight together, and then nine through eleven together as two separate thoughts. Some combine it into one paragraph. Um, my own inclination initially is to combine them into one paragraph. So that's how I've put it. But let's see what we think. Let's see if if that seems to work. Okay. And as I mentioned last time, um, this begins one of two paragraphs in this chapter, which I find most uh, sort of puzzling, right? Um, or at least it's kind of a signal that... Um, he's going to start getting more like poetical, even more poetical than he's been. But beloved, he begins, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Okay. So let's check the Greek because there's a whole bunch of things that we should recognize right away. Right. Um, first of all, like beloved, let's, let's see what that gets you know, what we're supposed to be connecting with that, his addressing us as beloved. And then we've got commandment, right? Commandment used three times. That's the same word, right? Is that the same word, same commandments we've been talking about, right? Okay, so that's that's the next question I've got. And then um, we have from the beginning, right? That's certainly something that should jump out at us. We started there, right? That which was from the beginning, back in verse one, very beginning of verse one. And then the word uh, which you have heard, Again, back to verse one. So let's see. Let's see what we're doing here. Okay. Agapetoi, agapetoi, beloved. That's plural, right? Yes, plural. Um, now, when he did, let's go back to when he did. It wasn't in this paragraph. It was the end of two. Um, my little children, right? Was the remember that was the affectionate uh, thing that he said before. He's not called us beloved yet, which is quite nice. Um, but of course, he's linking that is linked directly back to the agape that he used in verse four, right? Having mentioned that, uh, yes, whoever, no, verse five, right? Remember, keep his word truly in him, the love, the agape of God has been perfected. Um, so in calling us beloved ones, right? The agape toy. Um, there's this sort of right off the top, there seems to be this delightful, um, sort of ambiguity, right? Beloved of whom? Of John, presumably, right? But also of God, the love of those people in whom the love of God has been perfected. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm looking at you, right? Um, because of course, once again, beloved of God, beloved of John, same thing, right? That we may have fellowship one with another and truly our fellowship is with the father and his son and his son, Jesus Christ, right? Um, so I love the way that that initial beloved works there. Um, and it frames us particularly, right? He's talking to 
the people in whom the love of God is perfected, right? Again, he's clearly not addressing non-believers, right? He's not talking about people who don't know Jesus. He's talking about people who are in, he's talking to, I should say, he is addressing people who are in community with God and with each other, right? And says, okay, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment commandment to you. Same word, entolen, yes, commandment. But it's singular here. Whereas entolas, right, was, neg- was plural before. Right, uh-huh, going back up. Entolas, there it is, yes. Um, right, if you keep the entolas of him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were, we had plural commandments all over the place in the previous paragraph. Now we have a new singular commandment, same word, but it's singular instead of plural. Okay. But he's not, he's not writing a new command. This is not a new commandment. Um, this is not a new commandment. Now, by the way, for those of you, for the Greek scholars among us, I have a question today. And my main question is the pairing of the words new and old, right? We have kainen for new and palayan for old. Um, is there anything you could tell me about those words um, that is the sort of the context in which those two words tend to be used in Greek? Is there any sort of associations? Is there anything interesting about that pairing? Are those real? Are those like just like the simple and obvious words for new and old? Um, uh, are there other words for new and old that he could have used and he, and he chose to use this one instead? These are things just an example of things I don't really know about those pairings. I'd be interested to hear anything you had to say um, about that. But anyway, okay, single, sing, singular commandment, both times, singular commandment, right? Beloved, I am not a new command, not a commandment new, I am writing to you. So I'm not writing a new commandment. Um, yeah, you can see Kynan and, and Tolan agree with each other. So there we go. I am writing Grafo, same verb that he was using before, um, but an old commandment, which ye have had, from the beginning, ap arches, and that's the same word. Let's go back to one for a second. Um, yep, that which was ap arches, same exact phrase, right? That which was from the beginning. Um, that which we have had ap arches. Um, uh, okay, okay. Um, and then, oh, wait, where am I? Not far enough down is where I am. Okay, uh, for seven, there we go again. Okay, I'm writing to you a new commandment. Not a new commandment, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. Um, ooh, question for those of you with concordances and such, because I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked and uh, look it up now because it might take me too long. Um, the new and old words here, that John is using, are these the same words that are used when Jesus talks about new wine and old bottles? Is that, is that the same? Can you tell me if these are the same two words, the same word pairs that we get there, old wine and new bottles? Um, I, yeah, if you could look that up for me, I, I'd really appreciate it. That'd be cool. Um, okay. So he says, it's not a new, co- I am, I am not writing a new commandment to you. Okay, so let's pause for a second. Can we pause and ask the obvious question? What's he talking about? 
Like, I don't mean whether his commandment is new or old. I mean, what commandment? What's he, what's he, what's he referring to? Again, it's not the commandments of Jesus, right? The commandments, plural, that we're supposed to keep. The fact that he uses the singular suggests that there's not just simple continuity there. Right? He's not just continuing to refer to the same thing, right? A new commandment. So I assume that what he has to be referring to, I mean, my presumptive answer to that question, right? By presumptive, I mean true until proven otherwise, right? Uh, is what he just referred to, right? I mean, when you start talking like that, I am not writing a new commandment to you. He's like following up what he just said, right? So I'm assuming that, you know, by this, we know we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. That statement, right? So, okay, like that that you ought just as, ought yourself just as he walked to walk. That's the commandment that he's referring to. Does that seem right? Does anybody else have any other reading of that? Is that, is there anything else you think that he might be referring to? Um, again, I assume he's alluding back to what he just said. And so he's saying th- that idea, that if you are to abide in Jesus, you ought to, you must, it is necessary that you should walk just as he walked. And he's saying, you know, this is not new. This is not new. I, this is not a revelation here, right? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just reminding. This is the commandment which you've had from the beginning. This is consistent. Oh, it's a different word for new. Okay, so pray. So this is different from the new wine and old bottles. Okay. All right. Hang on. This bears some investigation. Well, hang on. Let me not interrupt myself. Uh, let me not interrupt myself. Okay. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So he's saying this idea that in order to remain in Jesus, you must walk. It is necessary that you must walk even as he walked. That's what it means to abide in him. Right. That will be the inescapable result of your abiding in him. That's what it means if you want to start abiding in him. That's like where you what you need to do. All that stuff. Right. Okay, fine. Um, And he says. This is not a new commandment. I'm mean, just not. This is not a newsflash, right? This is. You've had this from the beginning. Which beginning? I wonder. From the beginning of. From when you first heard the gospel. From when Jesus came, right? From like the time of Jesus's own ministry. From the beginning of God's revelation of himself to the Jews, right? Like from Mount Sinai forward, uh, from the very beginning, from creation, right? There's several different beginnings, I would think, that um, uh, he could potentially be referring to here. Um, it's an old commandment you've had from the beginning. And then, he spe- and then he says it again. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Okay. All right. We'll come back to that in a second. Let's um um let's do some research. Let's figure this out. Okay. Um praise you say the word for old is the same. So let's start with that. Let's go, let's click on the number. Haleos. Okay. Old or ancient. 
All right, so what can we do here? Uh, let's get some concordance here. What do we get? This We get this in... Older, ancient, no longer new, worn by use, worse for wear or old. So sometimes it can mean worn out, but most of the time it just means old, right? So for instance, Luke is using this word, and no one having drunk old wine desires new, for he says the old is better. Okay, so we're talking about old wine now. Looking, He says neon for new here. Okay, so Luke is pairing old and new paleon and neon right okay all right so that's interesting let's go back we also get it in first corinthians or second corinthians sorry what do we get say but um um right but the minds of them were hardened until the present day right the same veil at the reading of the old covenant okay so when paul's referring to the reading of the old covenant um he uses the word paleus okay okay Interesting, right? Good. Um, and then, of course, we get this one that we're talking about right now. Uh, in First Corinthians 5, what else do we see here? What do we get here? Right, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, neon, again there, as you are unleavened, also of the Passover lamb. Wait, hang on, where does, uh, where did, where did, where did, oh, Palan, the old leaven, right? Of course, yeah, the old leaven, right? Cleanse out the old leaven and then that you may be a new lump. So once again, Palan and Neon are, so Paul and Luke both pair Palan and Neon as the old and new pairings. Okay, interesting. Let's see, who else? How about Matthew? What does Matthew do? Is this the wine in bottles? Uh, no, no, this is not. Um, Ah, right. The master of the house, right? Who um, puts forth out of the treasure of him things old and new. Ah, look at there. Here we have Kaina and Pelaya and Pelaya, just like John does, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. The kingdom of the heavens is like a man, the master of a house who puts forth out of the treasure of him things old and new. So that's fascinating. Because here we see that John's pairing. The only problem is I don't understand this one either. So that doesn't help me as much as it might. But that's that's interesting. That's interesting. How, how, how about Hebrews? Okay, we got another author here. So presumably another author. Who knows? But okay. Even for you ought to be teachers by the time, again, you have need of one to teach you, right? What is the principles of the beginning, our case, of the oracles of God? And you have become in need of those of having milk and not of solid food. Hang on a second. Where are we getting Peleus in here? Pollen? No. Is it? I don't even see it in here. Huh. What was the number? 3820. Oh, that's weird. Where's 3820 in here? I see 3825, but that's not the same thing. Uh, where did I miss it? I missed it. Weird. Not sure about this. Um, okay, hang on. Let's go. Where, where, why doesn't it give me Matthew 9? 
Oh, because it's the worn out version. Okay, let's go to Matthew 9. Here we go. No one puts a patch of cloth, of untrunk cloth on old clothing. Paleo. We've got old clothing here. They've got the paleo clothing. Uh, right, for the patch is going to tear away, and a worse tear emerges. All right, let's keep going. There's new wine and old bottles, right? Nor pour they new wine, neon wine. Who wants neon wine? Right, don't put neon wine into Paleos wineskins, okay? If now, lest they are burst, the wineskins, and the wine is poured out, and the wineskins are destroyed. But they pour new wine, neon wine, into Kainos wineskins. Would you look at that, right? Just like you were suggesting there, um, praise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, this is fun. This is really great. This helps. This helps. Doesn't this help? I think maybe this helps. Um, so you've got new wine and you've got Kynos wineskins. Neon wine and Kynos wineskins. Do we see the distinction? Yeah, I think we do. We've got, uh, remember the old wine? The Paleos wine was better, right? Uh, elsewhere, right, in Matthew. Um, okay, okay. You've got old skins and new skins. So yeah, this idea of um, Aiden, I like that suggestion. Aiden's suggestion and praises also is that the idea of freshness being associated, right? You don't you don't put them in um, in old wineskins. You put them in fresh wineskins. This idea of something. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm playing the word the the game taboo, right? Like the word taboo. Like I can't use the word new to describe it. Um, something fresh. So so new in that sense, right? Not just new in the sense of recent, right? But the 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 new wineskin contrasted. So the new wine is just is just it's just recent, right? Recent wine. Um, uh, young wine, even as Aiden suggests, um, the wine skin isn't just new, right? It isn't just younger uh, than the old wine skin. It is a fresh wine skin. The old one is worn out, and the new one is fresh and strong, right? So there would seem to be, therefore, the idea of, especially in this case, it's explicitly the idea of of replacement right? That which is old and worn out, and you replace it with something that's new. So do you think then it's possible? I don't know if this would be going too far. Remember that when we were looking at, if I go back a few places, yeah, we were looking at these, the two definitions that um, Thayer's Greek lexicon, that strong, or the Thayer's Greek lexicon is here identifying, if I'm reading my citations here correctly, um, for the meanings of the word, uh, and that is old, just from a long time ago, right? And worn out, worse for wear, right? Like faded or uh, 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 worn down, right? Um, something can be called old, and that's not always an insult. In fact, sometimes it's a compliment, right? The old wine is better. Um, and certainly, referring back to ancient things, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something is worn out and useless now just because it happens to be old, 
right? Again, sometimes the old wine is better. Um, most of the time, the old wine is better. Um, but there is that additional sense. Sometimes things that are old are worn out, right? And need to be replaced by something fresh, right? Um, and I wonder if it certainly makes me think that, um, you know, I think there's a, well, I won't, I won't digress onto Paul's reference to the old covenant. But anyway, but here's, so here's my, here's my theory. I wonder if the pairing gives us a clue as to which sense of old he's using here, right? That is, if you pair paleon with neon, right? Um, old and new. It would seem to mean just like from a long time versus from recently. But if you pair paleon with, um, uh, what the other one? <laughs> I've already forgotten it. What is it? Uh, uh, the, uh, right. Kynan. If you pair Palainen with Kynan, then it suggests more that worn out. It's old. Like it still just means old. Right. But it now has the implication of like a worn out thing that maybe needs to be replaced. Like the old wineskins need to be replaced with fresh wineskins. Right. Um, does that, I wouldn't want to lean too heavily into that. Like I want, I want to say this is like, and this is a new law we've discovered, right. About, about this usage. But I wonder if that uh, tendency is true, but, and now let's, yeah. So Devorah, let's exactly apply that here. Right. Um, I'm not writing a kind and a fresh commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. So there you see, he would seem, if he's playing on that sense of a fresh replacement thing for the old and worn out thing, right? He's negating that. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that this thing I just said is a new fresh commandment that needs to replace an old worn out commandment. I'm not saying that at all, right? I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a kind and versus polite situation. Right. I'm not saying the old one is worn out. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. That would help to explain, by the way. That would help to explain, by the way, why he repeats it. It's one of the things that seems really weird. Well, not really weird, but a little bit weird in this verse. Right. I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. I mean, he's giving us a little bit more information in that he's connecting it to the word and to our hearing, right? But although there's some obvious significance there, it's still not like we're getting a ton of more information here, right? Um, uh, there's a fairly laborious... Well, I, I, what's laborious about it is the repetition of the phrase, the old commandment, right? If he just, if he didn't repeat that phrase, it wouldn't sound as... Uh, sort of clunkily repetitive, right? If he just said, beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning, that which you heard, sorry, no, it would be like, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning, the word you, which you have heard, right? That would be punchy. Right here, I am editing John again, right? Come on, John. Like, this would be punchy or harder hitting, right? We can We can compress this a little bit, right? Um, but no, that's not what it, that's not the effect he's going for. Instead, he repeats 
uh, the old commandment, right? And so I wonder, Devorah, if that's exactly what he's saying, right? I'm not writing a fresh re- commandment designed to replace an old worn out commandment. And then I'm going to repeat the Peleon commandment, the old commandment, almost as if perhaps he's sort of reinstituting that the, the other, the primary meaning, right? It's an old commandment. It's an ancient commandment. I'm not saying it's a worn out commandment that needs to be replaced with a fresh commandment, right? But it is an old commandment. It is an ancient commandment. It's the word that you have heard. It's aparches, right? This is the command from the beginning and thus by definition old, right? But it's not worn out needing needing a kind in commandment, needing a, a fresh commandment to replace it, right? Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that really holds up. As I say, I'm trying to find out, to figure out the sense of what he's doing here. Hang on. Can, I'm going to peek ahead. Don't tell anybody. Let's let's cheat just a little bit. Ah, okay. I wanted to see the word he uses for kind, and if it is still kind in verse eight, and it is. So we'll come back to that. Okay. That's next time, though. Okay. 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 Um, just curious. The commandment that I give you is not a fresh replacement commandment to replace an old worn out commandment, but it is an ancient commandment. It is an old commandment. Now let's look at this other verb. I am very interesting. I'm very interested, Aiden, in this point that you're making about the tense of the verb heard. Um, But I'm going to need your help here because this is one of those Greek things I don't, just like I don't understand the middle voice, I also don't understand the aorist tense, um, which ye had from the beginning. This is in the imperfect indicative active. Okay. Um, The command, the old commandment, the palea and tole is the word, the logos that you have heard. The English translation, both here and there and everywhere, I think, is have heard, which in modern English is the present perfect, right? Saying that that action has been completed as of the present time. But this is not in the perfect tense in the Greek. This is in the aorist tense in the Greek, which we don't have in English. So you've got to pick an English tense and none of them are going to be exactly the same. This is one of those really difficult translation choices that you have to make. Okay. Um, it's the form used for the mainline action of narratives. Aiden, so it's like the, it's like the, the, um, it's like the historical present then that you use in narratives. Sort of like that. Right. Um, okay. Aiden says, the aorist is for actions conceived of as a single point, which are usually, but not always in the past. It's not present. I know, I know, I know. I, I'm not saying it's present necessarily. I'm saying it's a convention to use it in the same, like we, in Greek, they would have used the aorist tense conventionally in this, in a similar position to when we might use the historical present is, is what I mean. I don't mean that it's present. Um, 
Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you were just saying, uh, Aiden. Yeah, you were typing that as I was saying it. Right, good. It's a convention, just like our conventions. Yes. Okay. Um, actions conceived of as a single point, which usually are usually, but not always in the past. So, okay. So what's the difference then? What's the difference then between the aorist tense and the past tense? Just like something that happened. Um, the verb up here, aihete, aihete, um, and that the the chi is pronounced right, something like that. Um, this is imperfect, which means it's an action in the past, but it's not complete, right? So it's like which you have been having from the beginning. It suggests potentially something ongoing about the having of the commandment from the beginning, right? Um, you've had this for a long time. Your having of it is not completed, though. It's still, it's still, that's why it's imperfect. It's not completed. It's still ongoing, right? Is, is it, so that, that would be my understanding of, of the tense of this verb. And then contrasted with um, that you have heard. Aorist tense. So he's contrasting the first time he says it which you have had from the beginning. He refers to our ongoing relationship, which extends from the past into the present and presumably on into the future, right? Of having the commandment, right? It's an old commandment, which we have been having since the beginning, from the beginning, right? And then when he restates it, is the word that you have heard. He's referring to something like a historical incident, right? The word that you heard is like, whereas having the commandment from the beginning is a state of being, right? Having heard the word is an event. Does that make sense from a Greek grammatical standpoint? Am I, am I, am I, am I understanding the, how those two words, those two verbs would go together? Okay. Interesting. We are all learning a lot. <laughs> all learning a lot about 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 Greek, but I think it's so important. John is clearly so I mean he is anyone who is as involved in wordplay as John is, like this stuff matters, right? I, I'm very convinced that the, that this stuff matters. Okay. All right. Well, pending correction from somebody who can set me straighter about the Greek than I currently am. Let's run with that. Um, and I am really interested in that. So we go back to the English here. The commandment I'm writing, it's not new. It's not a fresh commandment. It's an old commandment, which you have had, which you have been having from the beginning. This is This has been an ongoing thing. I'm just talking about the thing which has been an ongoing state from the beginning. And as we said, that beginning has many different levels, right? I'm talking about how it has always been 
with you and Jesus ever since you came to know Jesus. I'm talking about how things have always been ever since Jesus was incarnated and began to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? I'm talking about how things have been from the beginning of the world, how God designed things to be from the op way arche, right? <laughs> from the, from the, the, the arche way, way back in the past, right? At the very beginning, the real beginning, the big beginning. Um, and then the pretty big beginning and then the personally big beginning, right? All of those things. This is, this has been consistent all the way through that if you, that love, that the love of God is perfected in us when we keep God's commandments, the love of God is perfected when we keep God's commandments. And indeed, if you go all the way back to Genesis one, you can even see that there right? Um, that God makes man and woman in his image, right? And sets them, gives them dominion over the world that he has created in which he is establishing himself in and ruling, right? Um, and so his love is perfected when they walk in the light as he is in the light, right? When they walk with him, when they are joined with him, when they are in community with him. Yep, that does seem to be an old commandment which we have had from the beginning, um, as well as, of course, being very closely tied to the commandment we have had from the beginning of Jesus's ministry, right, from the incarnation, when Jesus arrives and starts preaching about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it is not different from the gospel message um, whereby we were, stay, we were saved. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, but then he goes on to make this other clarification. Perhaps the clarification I was suggesting about old and new, right? Repeating old commandment in order to emphasize that this is not just a worn out commandment. This is, this is an ancient commandment, right? An old commandment, the old, the old commandment, which is like old wine, right? Um, and it is the word which you have heard. The combination of the... Um, yeah, and Aiden is, is saying that like it, the the distinction between the tenses might also just be related to the nature of those verbs as well, like that have had, right? That that the having, right? That that the concept of the verb to have is almost by definition an ongoing thing, right? I mean, the having can you can say have in the past tense, right? You can say I had it, right? But even when you say I used to have that, you're still referring backwards to a a state which at that time had been going on for some time, right? There's no, um, having is not a momentary thing, right? It's not something that just occurs and then is over. Um, if it's not a, you know, if it's not a state of being for any period of time, it's not real having, is it, right? Um, whereas hearing, you can hear something just once and that's the thing, right? Um, yeah, but anyway, but nevertheless, I think that we can, we can, we can still, we can see those things happen. This, this, this commandment, we, it has been in our possession. We have had it. It has been with us from the beginning. It is still with us and it shall always be with us. Right. Um, which of course seems to me to link to this idea of it's an old commandment. It's not a worn out commandment, right? It doesn't need to re be replaced by a fresh new commandment, like a new wineskin. Right. Um, yes, we've had it from the, it's old as we've had it from the beginning, but it's not 
worn out. The old commandment, the unworn out old commandment is the word which you have heard. And that through the word word, right? And linking the word word to Jesus, the logos here, um, the hearing of the word um, would seem to point to a beginning in particular. So I can have three potential beginnings, right? The beginning of our own personal relationship with Jesus individually, the beginning of Jesus's, um, you know, ministry on earth, right? The, the incarnation and the, the, the announcement of the coming of the kingdom of God, and then the creation, right? As being sort of three things we can think about um, as the beginning. Um, the word that which you have heard, well, goodness, that actually does connect with all three, doesn't it? Um, the word which you have heard in the sense of the gospel that you listened to, right? That you received through your ears. But of course, it's also the word, the logos, Jesus himself, which you have taken into yourself, right? At that time when you heard the good news and responded to it. But at the same time, there's also the word, the logos, right? Is the word that you have heard. The old commandment is the word, the logos, like the word which is made flesh. Um, the, the idea of the incarnation is recalled through John 1, right, in the use of the word logos there. But of course, the word also goes back to creation, right? God's word by which he spoke into the darkness and created, right? Um, the word which we have heard, which indeed all of creation has heard and responded to. Um, so I guess all three levels actually do work with that. Um, but I think it's interesting. If we think about, again, the ongoing relationship of the having versus the event of the hearing, right? What we can see there, I think, is like, what is the event? The word is the event, right? Well, the receiving of the word, the word coming into just like the, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make it sound? In a sense, well, yes, but in a sense, no, right? Because it's about the 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 sound must come and it and it must be received. If the it's, it's not received, then for us it's not an event, right? It may make a noise, but we wouldn't know it, right? So um that reception of sound by us is the event, right? Um communication happens not when you speak, but when I hear, right? Um, otherwise you can be speaking. And you know, if I'm like wearing my uh, uh, noise canceling headphones, I might not even be aware that you're speaking, right? Um, and so communication isn't, you know, the event hasn't happened. Um, but when I hear the word, right? Then the event has occurred, right? And so again, this referring to the these events, right? The event when Jesus, when Koinonia was first established, between us and God, right? When we heard the word, when the word is incarnated, right? When the whole world hears the word through Jesus's incarnation and ministry. And then of course, when all of creation hears the word of God, bringing it, um, you know, to being and to order, 
that's um the event right and this new commandment has been consistent right we have had this commandment we have we have been in a state of having this commandment from the beginning ever since so in in different senses ever since all of those all of those uh uh, uh timed um and yes aiden it works just as well in signed language uh as in audio mediumed languages just through a different thing uh, just through sight instead of hearing absolutely um now let's go back for a second oh, hang on before i go back i want to check uh our verb for here ecusante Ecusante. So back to John one. Um, ah, it's, it is different. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. It's different. So that's a different word there. We, we got it later on too. Um, life was manifested. We proclaim to you. I wish we have seen and heard. Okay, 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 omens, that's different there. Where did we get it? Didn't we get this verb? Right, that which we have heard, a okay, okay, omen. Um, is it the same root? 191, let's, let's just check here. It's, it's echo and ak echo, right? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Back up to verse 7. Right. Ecusate. Okay. Right. From Akuo to here. Okay. And then let's look at the other one. Hang on a second. So that one's 191. And then, which we have heard. Yes. Yeah, it is. They they are calling it the same. Yes. They are saying it's different forms of the same, same word. Same word. Okay. Yep. Yep. They are linking those together. So, um, uh, so Mr. Strong apparently is uh, of the opinion that those two words are in fact the same. Okay. So in the first few verses, back in the first paragraph here then, we we're talking about our experiences with the word of life stuff, right? And that which we have heard was one of those first things, right? And then we also got that which what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Same thing, right? Talking about, so that which we have experienced, we proclaim to you that stuff that we have seen and heard. Um, and then again, the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Um, all of these, in all of these places, John seems to be alluding to our own 
our own experience, right? Our own encounter with the word, the message, right? Sometimes he's referring to it, as, he's pointing to it as an authority, right? That which I've, um, this is the message which I have heard from him and declaring to you, right? Which we've heard from him and declaring to you. Um, I heard it from him, right? We have heard these things, that which we have seen and heard proclaim we unto you. Um, we have heard the word. The old commandment is the word which we have heard. Um, pointing back to that, again, that that experience, that reception. And there's this, there's this sort of, perhaps in a sense, appeal to authority there as well. This is an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The commandment is the word which you have heard. You know that you've heard this before. Um, I'm emphasizing this is not a fresh commandment. I'm not doing something crazy and and new here. This is not a fresh commandment, certainly not designed to replace the old commandment, not implying it's worn out. This is the commandment which you have heard. You heard a long time ago and possibly as far back as the creation of the world, right? Okay. Okay. Cool. Lots of stuff there. But um, then we'll see where he goes next, which is uh, immediately, apparently to contradict himself. So that will be fun to look at next time. We'll stop there. Um, uh, next week is going to be super fun because I don't understand the next verse at all. So uh, uh, that'll be really great. Um, look forward, looking forward to, to I, I'm, I'm feeling better already about verse seven. I thought that was really, really helpful. I appreciate all of the help that you guys have uh, uh, have given to me. Um, and I look forward to moving on to verse eight next time. So thanks, everybody. And I will see you guys soon. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through First John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.